We're starting a brand new series today at the church called I Don't Want to Be That Person Anymore. And I'm really looking forward to teaching through this series for the next couple of weeks because I believe that at some level, all of us in the room can, can say those words. I don't want to be that person anymore. That, that all of us at some level have this picture in our mind of the kind of dad that we want to be or uh, the kind of husband, the spouse, parent we want to be, the kind of employee we want to be, and specifically the kind of Christian, the kind of follower of Jesus that we want to be, the kind of faith that we want to have. And so we have that picture in our minds, but at the same time in our minds, we have a highlight reel of, of the old person that we used to be, or the person that we don't want to be anymore. And it's disgusting. It's actions and thoughts and habits that, that are in us and that were in us. And so there's this tension happening in us between who we desperately want to be and who we used to be. And I think at some level, all of us can say, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be that person anymore. And so for this series, I'm not majorly concerned with necessarily the kind of spouse or parent or employee that, that you want to be. Those things are important. Please understand that. But I'm, I'm specifically focusing on uh, the kind of faith that you want to have, the kind of Christian that you want to be, the kind of follower that, that you want to be. I'm specifically interested in that spiritual side the person that God wants you to be and you letting go of the person that the devil wants you to be. And when I say that phrase, the person that the devil wants you to be, like that sounds a little extreme, sounds a little drastic. Like, are, are you serious? Like the devil wants me to be somebody? You know, we talk a lot about the plans that God has for your life. And you just need to know that at Hope City Church, like we believe that is incredibly true that God has plans for your life, and they're great plans. They're greater than the plans that you have for your life. And so we believe that, that God loves you. We want you to know that God loves you. We want you to know that he has incredible plans for your life. And, and no matter where you come from or what you have done or what you are doing, that if you will accept or choose to follow Jesus, that he'll take you farther than you ever thought you could go and do things in and through you that you, than you ever believed were possible. But, but God is not the only one who has plans for your life. That just like God has plans for your life, the devil has plans for your life too. And as great as God's plans for your life are, that's how awful the devil's plans for your life are. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Like you're like, yeah, I've been there. I bought that t-shirt. For some of you, it's an actual literal t-shirt. It was like spring break. It was a year. It's a tie-dye t-shirt. You're like, wow, that was the devil's plans. Uh, you know, but, but like... Honestly, like we, some of us, we know we've been there and we can say with assurance, like, yeah, the devil's plans for your life never end up well. Some of you in the room, like you're not convinced yet. Like you're considering maybe following Jesus, but you're not totally convinced that the devil's plans for your life will end poorly. And, and we're just hoping and praying and believing not that you will have to experience that, but that you will come to believe that God's plans are greater than anything else out there, any other plans out there that could, that could try to sway you away. And so the foundation for this whole series, we're going to read a Bible verse. It's the foundation for this, this whole series. We'll read it each week when we come together uh, for, for these sermons. But it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
verse 17. It was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of what we read out of the New Testament. But this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ. Now, let's just stop for a second because that is a really important clarifying statement. That, that Paul here is saying that what he's about to let you know is for anyone who belongs to Christ. He doesn't say anybody who attends church. He doesn't say anybody, you know, whose parents are Christians. He doesn't say anybody who's trying to be a good person. He's saying anybody who has decided to follow Jesus, anybody who has decided to put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, he's saying that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And so for those of us who have started a relationship with Jesus, this is huge. This is huge. Because Paul is saying that we are becoming a new, a new person. We're becoming a new person. And so maybe you hear that today and you're like, yes, I want that. I believe that. Yes, I want to be, I need to be a new person. But there is another phrase that fills, uh, that, 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 that is troubling. It's, there's a tension inside of us. It's, he says that if you're in Christ, you become a new person. Yes, okay, I'm in. But then he says the old life is gone. The old life is gone. And maybe you hear that, that statement and you're like, uh, honestly, Jason, the old life doesn't really feel gone. It's still very much there. It's still very much prevalent in my life. It's like a stray pet that will not leave my back porch. It's like every time I wake up, every time I try to be who God wants me to be, like it's there. That old person, it's there. And I think it's important that we, that we pay attention to what Paul says here. Because God's plans for your life is not to just clean up the old version of you. I think sometimes religion would try to convince us that that's God's plans. That he just wants to take who you are and just make you a nicer version of it. So like you're smoking half as much, you're drinking half as much, you're lying half as much, you're cussing half as much, you're, you're being twice as good. Like that God's plan is just to clean up the old version of you. But that's not God's plan. God's plan for your life is that you would become a new person and that the old life be gone. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, yeah, that, you're, you're nailing me right there. I want to be the new person, but the old life doesn't necessarily feel gone. I think it's important that we remember and understand that following Jesus is a process, that this faith that's in us, this life that is, that is being created in us is a process. And we say a lot around here at Hope City Church, like, please give God, as much time to fix your life as you gave the devil time to screw it up. Because, you know, some of us, a lot of us, like, we'll give the devil like 20, 30, 40 years, and then we give God 20 days, and we're like, oh, see, I knew it wouldn't work. But let's give God as much time. He doesn't need as much time, but let's give God as much time as, as we gave the devil to screw our lives up and remember that, that it is a process and that even though it may not feel like it right now, we are becoming a new person if we've put our trust in Jesus. And so, and so maybe you're like, Jason, yes, new person, but that old person is still there. There's that tension, that battle that's waging inside of me. Well, I want to read you another verse of Scripture 
And it's from the book of Romans. It's chapter 7. Same guy who wrote what we read in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, wrote what we're going to read in Romans chapter 7. And I think it's the most relatable verse in the Bible. That there's so many good verses in the Bible, but sometimes it can be hard to understand what we're reading and what it all and what it all means. I don't think that's the case with Romans 7, verse 18. I think everybody who hears this verse can relate and say, I totally get it, I know what it means, and I am there. And this is what it says, verse 18. It says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Come on, can anybody relate to my man, Paul. I mean, can anybody say, yeah, I know what that's like. Now, here's what's crazy about these words is that the Apostle Paul was this type A driven, accomplished person. Like if he decided to do something, he was going to do it. And so I take such encouragement from these words in Romans chapter seven, because here's a guy who could accomplish anything he put his mind to, except except doing and being perfect and being exactly what God wanted him to be at all times. Even Paul, who was being beaten for Jesus and witnessing at everybody and didn't mind being arrested for Jesus and all these things, even Paul is saying, you know what, there is this thing in me, this gross, disgusting person in me that always seems to show up at the wrong time and have me saying and doing the wrong things. Like, yes, I can relate to that. So for these next few weeks, I don't want to be that person anymore. This series is just going to help us figure out how to become that new person that God is making us into and less of the old person that is always getting us into trouble. When I was growing up, uh, I grew up in Atlanta, and, and when I got my driver's license, I have to admit I was not the greatest driver in the world, did not have the most stellar driving record. I actually racked up five speeding tickets before my 18th birthday. Yeah, I know. Like, it's, it's awful. Yeah, but, but it's true. And everybody was driving crazy in Atlanta, and that was my excuse for a long time. But the reality is, like, I was just driving reckless and, and crazy. And so, as you might imagine, the cost of my driver's insurance was just kind of through the roof. And, uh, but I didn't really care about it because I wasn't paying for it. My dad was paying for it. My dad covered the cost of my driver's insurance, and so he decided not to do that anymore. And, and I'll never forget when he told me, like, you're going to have to cover the cost of your driver's insurance, and nothing changed my behavior like taking personal responsibility. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, once I was responsible for paying for my driver's insurance, I began to slow down and I began to drive uh, actually under the speed limit a little bit because it was a lot of money. But I'll never forget the, the, the time I got my first speeding ticket and decided to go to court. I could have just paid the ticket, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to um, talk myself out of this. I know that's hard for a lot of you to believe, but it's true. I was like, I'm going to talk my way out of this. So I went to court and I waited my turn and they called me up in front of the judge. And some of you are very familiar with this. I, this was my first experience, but they called me up in front of the judge and the judge begins to tell me the three options that I have. He says, okay, sir, you can plead not guilty and, uh, and we'll set a trial date and the, the, the officer who wrote the ticket will come. And I'm a huge Law & Order fan, so I thought, hey, that sounds kind of cool, a trial. Uh, but then I quickly found out that's not what I wanted to do. And, uh, and then he said, okay, your second option is you can plead guilty 
and you're going to pay the court costs and you're accepting guilt and, and it'll go on your driver's record. You can do that as well. That sounded awful. But then he gave me a third option and I was not familiar with the third option uh, before. I think they, I don't know if they have this in Kentucky or not, but growing up in Georgia, he said, the third option is you can plead nolo contendere. Now, I don't know if I'm saying that professionally correct. You know, we're, we're kind of Southern down there. So it was like nolo contendere, but, but uh, what I, I think I'm saying it right. He said, you can plead nolo contendere. And I'd never heard about this, but he began to explain it to me. He said, this is what it means to plead nolo contendere. You are admitting that you did it. So you are admitting guilt, but you're not going to have to necessarily deal with the consequences of pleading guilty. So you're going to pay the court cost because you know the government's got to get theirs. You're going to pay the court cost and you're going to go to driving school. But if you do those two things, then, then the ticket's not going to go on your driver's insurance. And so when he's explaining this to me, I'm like, that's a no-brainer. Like I can plead guilty but not have to deal with any of the consequences so like a like a person with the confidence of like a four-year law student I just looked at the judge and said judge I plead nolo contendere and he he hit the gavel and I walked out of there and I paid my court costs and I walked out of the courtroom that day feeling like a free man I beat the system it was like I felt like the the guy on Andy on Shawshank Redemption like climbing out of the gutter like ripping my shirt off like I did it I beat the system I'll tell you what I didn't feel I didn't feel guilty I did not feel personally responsible. I did not feel like, you know, I needed to change my actions, which is why, as you could guess, less than three months later, I got another speeding ticket, right? And that was, that was to be expected. And so today, what I want to do for the time that we have left is I just want to talk a little bit about the idea of nolo contendere. Specifically, as it relates to our lives, I want to talk about the idea of guilt without consequences. Guilt uh, without consequences. How many, how many people know that, that sin is not always, sin doesn't always feel bad, right? Like some of you are like afraid to raise your hand. Like, am I allowed to say that? Like, yes, of course, sin doesn't always feel bad. There is a gratifying, enjoyable element in the moment to sin. If there wasn't, we would never be tempted to sin, but because there is something gratifying and because there's something enjoyable about sin, uh, we're tempted to stray away and, and to sin. But how many people also know that the end result of sin is always bad, that the consequences of sin are always, are always bad? And so when I say the word sin, don't just think about like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, because there's all kinds of things that lure us away from, from a life with God, these things that promise us joy and peace and satisfaction. And the problem is that at some point, it all comes crashing down. It all comes crashing down, and at some point, we feel awful about what we've done. Maybe we hurt somebody, and we feel bad about that. Maybe we lied, and we feel bad about that. Maybe we uh, hurt our reputation, and we feel bad about that. Please hear me. The end result of sin, whether it's five weeks or 50 years later, the end result of sin is always regret. It's always regret. And so whether it's five weeks or 50 years, we all come to this place where we feel awful and, and we, we, we regret what we did. And in that moment, 
we are teachable and we are humble and we're emotional and the chances are pretty good that we are open in that moment to, to some other way of life or some other kind of advice. And so for most of us, at that moment of feeling terrible or dealing with the consequences of what we've done, at that moment, we are open to religion. We're open to religion. And in our mind, because we have this religious formula that we've been taught or picked up somewhere along the way, at our, in our mind, the idea is that our life stinks, so we need God. Our life stinks, so we need God. And that's not entirely wrong. It's not the whole picture, but it's not entirely wrong. Most of us come to Christ, we come to God, not at life's high moments, right? I mean, I've never met someone who, you know, walked through the doors of a church and says, oh, I just won the lottery last night, and I won all this money, and I want to turn to Jesus and give a lot of money to the church. That's not the way that it works. Actually, most of us meet God or come to God at at life's low moments, right? We feel terrible, and, 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 it's, and it's, it's, it's at our lowest. It's at the end of the rope or at, at the bottom. We've hit bottom, and we feel terrible. And the challenge for us in that moment is we, we want religion or we want God or we want some kind of solution. And so the challenge at that moment is it's hard to know if we're truly repentant or if we just regret how it ended up, right? If we're truly repentant or if we just regret how it ended up. So how do we know? What is the difference between regret and repentance? It's that nolo contendere concept that I was, that was telling you about. Like, what is the difference between regret and repentance? And if we don't want to be that old p- person anymore, how can we truly know if we just feel bad about what we did or if we truly want to repent and turn away from our sins? Well, there is a, uh, a verse, there's actually two verses of Scripture in 2 Corinthians, written again by the Apostle Paul, that's going to tell us how we can know. It's going to, to help us to figure out how we can know whether or not we just regret what we did and we just don't want to feel bad anymore or if we truly want to repent and turn from our sins. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start reading at verse 10. We're going to read two verses and we'll kind of stop along the way. This is what it says. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, it says, For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience. Now let's just stop for a second because we're going to finish that sentence. But, but just stop and... Did, did you just hear what I just read? Did, did you just hear those words? For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience? Wait a second. This is huge before we move on. You're telling me that there's a kind of sorrow that God wants me to experience? That doesn't sound very God-like. That, that doesn't sound like, like something that God would want. What do you mean there's a kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience? Well, there is, and if we'll keep reading, we'll find out what it is. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, he said, leads us away from sin and results in salvation. That's why God would want us to experience a godly kind of sorrow, because it leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Yeah, it stinks to feel bad. It stinks to go through a divorce. It stinks to lose a job, file bankruptcy, be found out. But God 
wants us to experience sorrow because sorrow is just the indicator that whatever we've put our hope in, whatever we've put our trust in besides God has let us down. That's what sorrow is. When you experience sorrow in your life, you are just experiencing what it feels like for something that you put your hope and your trust in, something you expected to save you, and it has let you down. And so God, like any good parent, will allow us to experience that sorrow so that we can realize that only he can save us. Only God can save us. That anything else we run to, turn to, whether it is some addiction or habit of sin or whether it's something that seems good but we've put too much hope in it, like our kids or a career or an amount of money, that will come crashing down at some point and we will feel sorrow and God will allow us to feel that sorrow so that we can be led away from sin and we can, it will result in salvation. God never wants to rub your sin in your face. This verse is not saying that God wants you, he's gonna just kick you while you're down and rub salt in the wound and rub your sin in your face. But God will allow you to look at your sin and your life and where you don't want to be for long enough for you to realize what it is that you need saving from. That he's not just going to push it to the side as quickly as you feel bad about it because he does want you to realize what it is that you need saving from and why you're feeling sorrowful. What is it that you need to be led away from? So let's keep reading. So, so he says, he says uh, there's a kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience, leads us away from sin, and results in salvation. Keep reading. And Paul says, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot next week, so I don't want to spend a ton, ton of time on it. But, but, he, he, but Paul is saying that we should not regret anything in our life that leads us to salvation. And that's huge because there's so many of you today in the room and like you talk to me and I know, like I, I understand, I, you, you tell me your story and you have such regret about decisions that you made and you're dealing with consequences and there are pains in your life now that you're having to deal with because of the decisions you made and I totally get why you wish you hadn't made those decisions. But this is a really key statement that Paul's saying. Paul is saying, whatever decisions you made in your life or whatever it is that you went through in your life, if it led you to Jesus, if it led you to salvation, don't regret it. Don't regret it. Because in the end, it was grace. In the end, it was, it was blessing because it was, it was something that led you away from sin and led you to Jesus, and that's not something to regret. So we're going to talk about that a lot more next week. So let's keep reading. So he says, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience it leads us away from sin, results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Keep reading. Paul says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So there's a different kind of sorrow. There's a kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience, but then there's a worldly kind of sorrow. It lacks repentance, and it results in spiritual death. Every parent in the room knows what it's like when your kids are not sorry for what they did. They're just sorry that they what? Yeah, got caught. They're just sorry that they got, they got caught. And I think as God's children, honestly, I think, I don't think, I know that all of us do that at some level. 
that we're not actually sorry for what we did. We're just sorry for how we feel, or we're sorry that we let somebody down, or we're sorry that we got caught. And so to feel bad, according to Paul, what Paul's saying here, to feel bad but not repent, it may make you feel better for a little while, but in the end, it's the same as if you never felt bad, and it's this repetitive cycle of sin. So, so when your consequences determine your behavior, that means one of two things. Either, uh, either there are no consequences, so you don't change your behavior, or that means that when there are consequences, you change your behavior until the consequences go away, and then what? You go back to the behavior, right? Because, because this kind of worldly sorrow doesn't have repentance. And so, so when, you're, when your behavior is dictated on consequences, then there's just this repetitive cycle of sin, regret, apology, sin, regret, apology, sin, regret, apology, so on, so on, and so on. Now, I, I think we need to stop for a moment because there's a really important um, distinguishing thing, factor here. And what I'm not saying today is, is that you shouldn't feel good. What I'm not saying today is that you should want to escape feeling bad. Because the mission of Hope City Church is we share real hope so people can have real life. And so for us, like, we want you to feel good. We want you to feel better. Anybody got a problem with, with feeling better? Like, no, of course. We want you to feel better. We want you to experience hope. We want you to be able to get a glimpse of the future of what could be uh, of your life with God. But we don't want to just give you real hope. We want you to have real life. And you only have real life when you hand control of your life over to Jesus. And you say, my hope is in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus. I'm a sinner and he has saved me and I'm following him now. That's when you have real life. And and so, yes, we want you to feel good, but we want you to be repentant and turn away from the old life and go towards new life in Jesus Christ. And the reason this is so important is because as long as we keep believing that, that our way is the best way to be happy or be fulfilled, we're never going to leave that cycle of sin. We're never going to leave that old life. God will just be a friend at the police station who can get us out of a speeding ticket, right? But if we learn to, to truly repent, turn from our sin, and follow God's way for our life, we can experience freedom, fulfillment, and, and joy. We can do that. Now, the temptation, we're going to finish these verses in just a second, but the temptation when you hear a message like this is to think of someone else, isn't it? Like, aren't you kind of thinking that right now? Like, you're hearing what I'm saying about truly being repentant and not just being sorry, and you think like, oh my gosh, I wish Jessica was here to hear this, or I wish my husband was here to hear this, or like you, you're thinking in your mind of somebody who needs to hear this because you're thinking to yourself, They're never really repentant. They just always feel bad that they got caught. But I'm not talking about somebody else in the room today. I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about me. Because it's so easy for us to recognize the sins of others, the faults of others, the behaviors of others, and miss our own sin that's right in front of our face. But it is our blind spot. So let me challenge you, not someone else, not someone else you wish was here. Let me challenge you. When you look at your life, the new life that God is creating in you, you think about your old life that's still lingering around. Are you truly repentant, turning from your sin? Or are you just feeling bad because you've been told you're supposed to feel bad? 
or because you don't want your wife to be mad at you or your husband or, or your mom or your mother-in-law. Like, do you truly believe that Jesus is better and you want to follow him or are you just doing what you've, told, what you've been told you're supposed to do? How do you know? So maybe you're here and you're listening and you're like, yeah, okay, wow, you're convincing me. But Jason, how do I know? Because there's a fine line between like feeling bad and guilt and repentance. Like both, both emotions exist. So how can we know? The purpose of this message is not to scare you, but it's to get you to look within yourself and be honest about your motives. Is Jesus the savior of your life or is he just the rebound because the last thing didn't work out? Well, if we keep reading 2 Corinthians 7 that we've been reading, there's one more verse that, that is going to tell us how we can know. Paul's going to tell us. So let's keep reading. He says, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such readiness to punish wrong. And here's the key. Here's the kicker, the last verse. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. That's it. That's how we know. That's the distinguishing factor between repentance and regret. It is the willingness to do whatever is necessary to make things right. This at its core is the battle that is waging inside of all of us between the new person and the old person. That at just at that time and at that moment where you are ready to decide, I'm going to give Jesus everything. I'm going to be all in for this faith. I'm going all in. The devil shows up in your life and he tells you the same thing that he told Adam and Eve in that garden. He says, come on now, you ain't got to be all in. I mean, you, you don't have to do it all the way like God said. I'm paraphrasing, but in a sense, it would be like he's telling you today, like, you could be 80% in, you could still go to church, like, you can still volunteer, like, that's cool, but don't, don't do whatever it takes. Don't be all in. And so what happens is we, we, we serve God at 80% or 90%, but we let that old person hang around and have like a, you know, a room in the basement. You know, we, we let them hang around and we think that it's no big deal because we're just letting them hang around. But here's what we find out is that the old person is way more influential to us than the new person is. And so if you give the old person 5%, they turn into 10, 15, 25, 35%. And if you truly want to be the new person that God is making you into and you don't want to be that old person anymore, you have to be willing to do Whatever it takes, you have to be willing to go all in. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Every time. In, uh, in, the, in the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, author Robert Persig describes what he calls in the book the Old South Indian Monkey Trap. And uh, it was really just the way that hunters would trap used to, I don't know if they still do this, but the way they used to trap monkeys, they would take a coconut and they would carve it out so there would just be a coconut shell. And inside of the coconut shell, they would put rice. And, uh, and so the monkey would show up and he would look in there and he would see the rice and he would, he would put his hand in the coconut shell to, um, to grab it and his hand would go in just fine. But once he grabbed the rice and made his hand into a fist, he could not get his hand out of 
out of the, the trap, the shell. And so in his mind, he's freaking out now because he's trapped. The truth is, though, he's not really physically trapped. He's just mentally trapped. Because from an early age, a monkey is taught, you get what's yours. If you find some rice, if you find some food, you grab it, you don't let it go. That's your livelihood. And so that monkey has been trained from childhood, do not let go. But all he has to do to get his hand out of the trap is to let go. And he's free to go. But he can't do it. He can't do it. And so whether it's an hour or a day later, whenever it is, the hunter shows up. He takes the monkey, and now the monkey is captured. And I can't think of a better description of what the devil convinces you and me to do in our lives. It's the biggest lie that he convinces us of. The greatest lie the devil ever convinces you of is that you can't live without the thing that's actually killing you. You can't live without the thing that's actually killing you. And if you'll just lay it down, if you'll just let it go, that last 5%, that last 10%, that last piece, part of that old person that keeps weighing you down and dragging you back, if you will just lay it down, the new person will take over in your life. So I want to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you two questions this morning to help you do some self-inventory about whether or not you truly don't want to be that person anymore, whether or not you, you are repenting and turning from your sin or you just feel bad about what you've done. First question is this, is the sin in my life much different from the sin that was in my life 5, 10, 15 years ago? Is the sin that's in my life much different from the sin that was in my life 5, 10, 15 years ago? Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's ever going to come a point in your life where sin is not around. And there's never going to come a point in your life where you, where you conquer all sin because if you actually ever did that, then your sin would be pride and that's probably the hardest one to, to get rid of. So, so there's always going to be sin. But is there any progress in your life where you would say, I'm not being dominated by the things that were dominating me 5, 10, and 15 years ago? Like, like, yeah, sin may get me, but it's not going to rule me, and I'm not still constantly going back to the things that I was going back to 5, 10, 15 years ago. That's question number one. Question number two. This one's hard. If I knew I could do whatever I wanted and could get away with it with no consequences, would I still do it? Would I still do it? In other words, do you do right to honor God, or do you not do wrong because you don't want to get in trouble? Right? That's a hard question. Like, are you following Jesus because you really want to follow Jesus? Or are you following Jesus because something else didn't work out and you don't want to have to go through that again? Is Jesus really better? Is Jesus the best thing? Is Jesus the only thing that can save you that you're putting your hope and your trust in? Or is it just plan B because plan A didn't work out? I wrote down this last statement. If I find myself repeating the same sins at the same speed with the same regularity, there is a good chance I don't hate my sin. I just hate the way I feel after I sin. Let me read that one more time. If I find myself repeating the same sins at the same speed with the same regularity, there's a good chance I don't hate my sin. I just hate the way I feel after I sin. 
my hope and my desire for you, what I hope I'm encouraging you to do today is to lay it down, to pull your hand out of the trap, to walk away from, to do whatever it takes to turn away from. Maybe it's end a relationship. Maybe it's move. Maybe it's find a new job. Whatever it is that you need to, to do to turn away from that old life, that old person, those old things, to embrace the new person that God wants you to be and is making you into. Jesus is better than whatever it is you're afraid to lay down. Let's pray.